1: Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, Ellis Pod fans. It's JR here. fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Loaf Strangers,
0: a Swindon Town fan podcast with me, Rich Pullen. Proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club.
1: Rodgers is streaking ahead and he's
2: onside. Beautiful play. That is that. What a good shot. Oh, the the goal. Well posed for Shire. Goal.
0: Going and yes, no bats, no Danny I will win this league anyway. Richard. he's hit it, it's Crabwell. johnny hi rich how you doing i'm very very well i guess these moments of isolation make it easier to do these recordings but i hope you're well and uh, all is okay
2: yeah good thank you yeah no, no problems here
0: brilliant okay then so let's start this episode like i start all the others right at the beginning so i want to know would like to know who you supported as a kid and who were your favorite players
2: Um, Well, my family are all massive Tottenham fans, Um, so I was born into that and and didn't get a choice in who I supported. Went to my first game, I remember four years old, I went to my first game on Boxing Day um, and followed Tottenham um, throughout my childhood. Went to a lot of games, went to a lot of away games, um, had a little Boxing Day tradition where my dad would always take me to, to the game no matter where it was in the country on Boxing Day. Not too many. Highlights as a Spurs fan growing up, to be honest, we've been a little bit better in recent years. Um, Players that stick out for me would be, uh, early days, would be David Ginola. Really good player, obviously, a lot of talent, a lot of flair. Then as I grew slightly older, it was Berbatov, Luka Modric. Um, I think Tottenham have always been a team with classy individuals rather than a great side, which we're sort of moving away from at the minute now with Mourinho. But, um, yeah, they'd be my, my Tottenham idols. But I think as a player, um, growing up, I tried to sort of emulate Steven Gerrard in the playground and, and be a little bit like him, who was just just frightening, really, the, the attributes he had. He could get box-to-box, passing, score goals, tackle, leader. Um I remember reading his autobiography growing up and was just, yeah, really fond of Steven Gerrard. So he'd probably be uh, an idol on the pitch.
0: Brilliant. And so what's... What's the catchment area support in WISE where you where you race? Because it's in that sort of awkward in-between, isn't it?
2: It is, yeah. So I'm from uh, sort of Camberley-Sandhurst way in Berkshire. Um, my family are all from Potter's Bar and Enfield, though, North London. So that's where that comes from. Um, yeah, it's a real mix. It's a real mix. And obviously I, I coach now in schools and do various programmes in, in academies. And... It's sort of a little bit of Chelsea, a lot more Man City moving in now, probably for reasons, a little bit of Tottenham. Um, the local team is obviously Reading, but it's it's not a, you know, it's obviously not a, a massive hitter in terms of Premier League football and and success. So yeah, it's really varied, very varied.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's an odd one, isn't it? When I was a... Uh... Early secondary school, Blackburn Rovers were all the rage, and I wonder how those guys are doing now.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, there's more and more it's, kids are strange as well because they just go they go with the social media and what's influencing them and that. So there's a lot of like, Paris Saint Germain fans, yeah. and it's just like, what are you doing? You know, you're <laughs> nine nine years old. You live in Reading, but who do you support? Paris, sarko <laughs> <Okay>. So, <laughs> definitely, def, fo- fo- football following is changing, definitely. But yeah, there's no there's no massive local draw here.
0: Yeah, well, I've always been interested about the local junior football scene because you know I play junior football and so many do, and it's always how kids get noticed within that within that junior football scene
1: because yeah.
0: the standard was not great when when I was playing junior football. What were your memories and experiences of playing before you entered the academy system?
1: I got
2: I entered the academy system very early, so I remember playing for my local side at six under seven. It would have been. Um, scoring a lot of goals, having a lot of fun and really enjoying it. But I only played a season because I got picked up by Crystal Palace. Um, And then shortly after that, uh, Reading invited me up to go and train with them. And Obviously, at the time, that's a no-brainer because Crystal Palace, for me, was a two-hour commute each way. Um, And that's just not really sustainable. So... I was delighted and I think my mum and dad were more delighted when Reading, Reading come calling because it was sort of 20 minutes away and, and a lot easier. Um, so I didn't have a, have a massive experience at grassroots level. Um, I then stayed at Reading until 19, 20 years old. So I was, you know, sort of in, in the, the professional environment, if you like. Um, but then since obviously going into coaching, I've seen it a lot more from that side of things. Um And what I would say is it's it's developing all the time. It's always getting better. You know, I think um, the education's out there for people. I think there's more pathways uh, for kids than ever before. Um, You know, I listened to my dad say, you know, there was never academies around when he was growing up. Um, Then I was one of the sort of first groups that come through at Reading. So when I joined under nine, I was one of the first under nine groups that started at Mm Reading. Whereas now, you know, you look at an academy, they have they have scouts all over the place, really. They have recruitment, consultants, and they have players coming in from abroad once you get to sort of fifteen, sixteen. Um so there's definitely a lot more a lot more pathways now, which you know, I guess means less players slip through the net if you like. Yeah.
0: A lot of guests that I've had on this podcast have talked about like the sacrifice of parents to get their kids through the academy systems whether they work out or not do you think if Reading wouldn't have come a call and do you think Palace would have happened
2: yeah I don't think my mum and dad would have let anything stand in my way to be honest they've been you know the most supportive people you know I could have asked for um there were some occasions where my dad you know is a tradesman has to work my mum would get on the bus we get on the train uh, we do what we have to do to get there. So they were they were fantastic in that sense. Um, it did just make things a lot easier, you know. So um, yeah, I'm sure they were happy. But having said that, again, it's you know it's 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 all weekend. And Saturday mornings, the kids train, and then Sundays we'd go and play. And we might play at Cardiff or we might play at Ipswich. You know, go everywhere. Um, so yeah, the, the commitment from from them as well as the the players and the kids and that is massive. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, as you mentioned, from an early age, you sign up with the Academy at Reading, who, of course, are old rivals of Swindon, although we haven't played them for many, many years because, well, they're better than us these days. Um, so you you start at, you're one of the first waves of young kids to go through. Tell me about your experiences at Reading, because Reading, again, it pains me to say, do have a reputation for developing quite a few football league players and also players that play full-time whether it be in the first tier or the fifth tier don't they
2: yeah they got they got a lot of players throughout the divisions you're right they're not sort of specialist in top end players you know i think gilfie sigurdsson would be the probably the the most successful player at the top end but then you look through they got a lot of players uh in the championship uh and then obviously filters down from there um so very successful they're very successful if you look at the money that the club has because it's not a wealthy club and my personal experience with Reading was, was obviously fantastic um, and you know that, that sort of led me to go back there and coach in the end when I stopped playing for, for Reading because um, you know the environment's great, what they give the kids is is fantastic, it's a lot more than, than just football, um, the actual development and learning that takes place there is equally as important because I'm sure you've all seen the stats of the actual percentage of kids which make it. It's frightening. Um, And there's no sort of selling dreams. You know, you you can't um, kid players and kid, kid young players on to believe that they're all going to play in the Premier League because it just doesn't happen. So I think the grounding that the club gives you is uh, excellent and something that I really enjoyed. Um, And I look back on moments at the academy level sort of, Going on tours and things like that. You know, we went to America. I remember we went to America, and uh, I don't know if you remember when the ash, uh, the the ash crowd, cat yeah, cat yeah, cat yeah, ash cloud struck in Iceland. We were actually in North Carolina at the time. Not bad. And they, yeah, they stopped all flights for three weeks. <laughs> so I remember the manager having a meeting with us. We were about sixteen at the time, and he said, uh, "Boys, we're stuck here for three weeks." Was like, Brilliant. Great stuff. <laughs> um, so we did all sorts out there. We went to watch like NASCAR. We did <laughs> NBA games we went to paintballing go-karting it was a fantastic experience um and something like that you know it wouldn't happen unless you were involved obviously at the club um so things like that were great and and still speak to, to teammates now there's, there's certain players doing really well um you look at like Jordan Abate still in the first team at Reading um, Alex McCarthy's now in the Premier League with Southampton uh, and there's players like uh, Michael Hector done really well, so there's like you say, there's a variety of different sort of levels being played. Um, but I would say the percentage of players still playing full-time football, professional football, reading is definitely higher than than sort of most clubs. Certainly
0: seems that way. I, w- I would definitely agree with you there. As you said, I think Michael Hector was the year above you wasn't he I think yeah. and um, I think Angus McDonald would have been around your year he's in championship yeah. Lawson Death, death. Um, yeah. he was on trial at Swindon pretty much all yeah. of that summer as well he's playing at Yeovil Goziogwu. Um yeah. he's still kicking about isn't he and then just below you had Jordan Abita so even in terms of the rest of the the football league just having those names including yourself in one two or three years sort of gap and that's just a few players I've mentioned shows yeah. you how well they do
2: yeah you're right and you're just touching the surface there. So there's yeah. plenty of them. you could keep going but yeah I think like I said it's credit to, the, to to what's going on at the academy really and and to this day there's still a lot of good players coming through and it's it's an enjoyable environment as well you know I, I see I think a lot of people that aren't involved in academies can have the perception that they're quite pressurised environments and that they're quite full on and they tell players to play a certain way and and all the rest of it. And you're probably right to a certain extent because it has to be that way because you're trying to, you know, you're trying to achieve your goal, but they're enjoyable. The the games are great. You know, you look back at it and we still talk about it now. Do you remember this game we had at under-18s? What about that cup, the FA Youth Cup run and things like that? And, yeah, like I said, you wouldn't get those—not just football experiences, but, but life experiences—if you know you went a different pathway. So yeah, it's very enjoyable time. When
0: I, when I spoke to Sam Parkin, who came through the youth system at Chelsea he he said that it took him a while, almost to the end of his career, to realise he had achieved. Because obviously he had started out at a massive club like Chelsea, sure, before the Abramovich money came in. But he was still sort of destined for all his goal was the big Premier League push. But because he played his career predominantly around League One, League Two, he didn't feel mm. like he achieved his goals. How does a footballer sort of maintain that? Are you brought up... To expect to become the best, or are you brought up in the academy system to just become professional footballers.
2: I think everyone's different. To be honest, I think everyone will have different goals. My 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 sole aim was to play for Tottenham. So <laughs> some might look at that and go, that was ambitious," or you know, I'm not aiming very high at all. But that was that was what I wanted to do. Um, I think I think if you aim high, you know, and you try and do the best you can, and you fall just short of that, you'll be okay. Um, the reality is that football such a, it's such a volatile industry and a game of opinions, and there 's so much that goes on within the game that sort of has a, an effect on your future that it's it 's hard to be too critical of yourself sometimes sure. you know i 'm not talking about sort of performances because I think every player will self reflect and analyze their game but there are there are things which go on in football which you can 't um, take too much control over so yeah, it's, it's a tough one to answer. I, I think all players at, at at the very start of the journey start playing because they love football. They enjoy the game. They want to go out and play with their friends and they want to play and, and win, score lots of goals. And then as you get to sort of 14, 15, you probably start thinking more seriously about what you're going to try and achieve. Um, and then, like you said, sacrifices that are going to come with that day to day. Everyone that I know that's been successful just works as hard as they can and it's not really a I'm doing it for this reason or that reason it's you just get you just get so involved in in the game and the the industry that you you just everyone's striving to be the best they can and, and sort of see where that takes them
0: sure when I spoke to, I mean, I spoke to Charlie Austin, who started out at Reading, didn't have a great experience. I spoke to Callum Kennedy, who was coached by Brendan Rogers at Reading, had a good experience, had a great experience. Who were you coached by during those junior years?
2: So um, Brendan was academy manager when I joined, um, and Anton was actually uh, Anton Rogers yeah. was actually my age group, so we br- grew up playing together till about. Under 12, maybe. So I knew Anton from, from, from you know, since we about seven or eight. Um, I had a, a host of coaches, really. My under-nines coach, which was my first proper coach, if you like, really, was Lee Heron, yep. who, um, it was funny, really. We had a sort of similar path through the academy where, as I was growing up and going through the age groups, he was sort of getting promoted every year, you know. So he started at under nine. He ended up becoming academy manager, um unfortunately when when Amon Dolan passed away um and he's now at Arsenal so Lee was a massive influence on my career um and then obviously like I said they're getting older Eamon Dolan was was academy manager when I was a scholar um and he was a really good man you know he was, he was incredibly intelligent uh, had a real knowledge and understanding of of not only football but but kids that age are hard to deal with you know <laughs> You think you got a group of maybe 25 seventeen year old lads who all think they're professional footballers and it all started getting paid he He was the perfect person to to sort of keep those boys grounded and make sure they're working hard um so yeah learned a lot from from them them guys growing up and then obviously since moving into the the first team environment there's been, there's been plenty of others that i've I've learned a lot from as well.
0: Yeah, we've got to mention Anton Rodgers Yeah, Anton is, is always a bit funny in my mind because I appreciate he wasn't the most popular footballer at Swindon for whatever reason. It's fine. I always sympathise with, with, with footballers who, who don't who fail to win them over, whether it's justified or not. But it really did surprise me that he couldn't find a league club post-Swindon. Because I think, to be fair, I mean, people will be telling me now I'm talking nonsense. Um, But I think he did enough to warrant at least like a fifth tier um, gig. But he sort of dropped down Siren or Hungerford level, uh, sorry. And now he's disappeared. And I mean, he was training with Celtic, obviously, when his dad was up there to keep him fit. But, you know, there was definitely signs there, weren't there?
2: Yeah, and I, I, I still speak to Anton now because we, we both live in Reading. Um, ben Gladwin's another one. He lives sort of five minutes from me, so we sort of keep in touch with each other a fair bit. But like I said to you, that's, that's football. Yeah. Like, things happen in the game which you can't quite believe. I'd speak to him, what's going on, Anton? You know, wait, wait. and he was like, I'm struggling, you know. I'm, I'm trying to get on trial here and there and, and all the rest of it. And then there'll be certain people as well who, you know, not involved in the game that might think, oh, his dad will be able to sort him out, blah, blah, blah it doesn't work like that, it really doesn't, you know, you have to earn everything on merit um, and things change very quickly, you know, one season you can be, you know, flying and uh, on, on the tip of everyone's tongue and then the next season if you've had an injury or you've not played as much or, you know, something happens, it's it's a different ball game. Um, there's so many players in the system, every year there's, there's, there's hundreds of players out of contract, fighting for clubs, um, you know, fighting for deals and it's so competitive, you know, it is so competitive. I've, I've always said to people, it, it, being involved in football, it gives you a great background, no matter what you go on to afterwards, yeah. because it, it, it gives you so many attributes and skills, and you learn so much about yourself, not more than just playing football, you know, because it's it's, uh, it's tough, it's tough, and yeah. especially the level, you know, sort of National League level, which obviously I've spent a lot of time at, you get sort of year-on-year year year contracts, um, squads turn over massively you know next season the club that you're at might have three or four same of the same players and that's not through players being greedy or you know players jumping ship and and getting more money and, and doing all of this it's just it's just the way of the game and it's the way it is so yeah it was tough for Anton it was tough for quite a few players um once you get a relegation on your CV it never helps and then yeah but he you know he's another one he's 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 doing he's still involved in the game now he's doing some coaching and I know he's he's doing quite a bit of work as an agent so he's still involved in the game um, and I'm sure he'll be successful down that route now.
0: Absolutely yeah let's talk about you mentioned that sort of free for all that happens every summer which you know doesn't just impact 18 year olds it impacts everybody who has a one year you know well anyone who's out of contract and it you know it's an exciting time for a football fan but it's probably the most stressful time for a footballer in 2011 2012 you get your first professional deal fantastic you've gone through the whole of the academy system you've earned a contract brilliant but it happens at a time where reading are very very good so i mean with all respect you don't get a look in do you because i think you get a squad number but you 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 can't break into that side can you
2: no, it's it's tough, you know. And we talk. There's certain moments in your career where things happen, good and bad. And I remember I was in line to go uh, with the first team on a Carling Cup trip yeah. at the time. they had talkie away, and there was a few lads, a couple you mentioned actually, Lawson, DF, Jordan, Abita, um and they. The, the assistant manager had mentioned it to me, and then I did my ankle ligaments that week in training when I was out for like six to eight weeks. And then that just set me back a little bit. You know, that was early on in the season. Then the first team, yeah, for, for a couple of years were, were flying under Brian McDermott. Um, and then it got to the end of that year that I was a professional. Um, and the, the it was a real mixed bag, you know, because all year I'd not been told anything. And it was like, right, what's happening? I've got a meeting tonight with the director of football and, and the coaching staff honestly I couldn't tell you what was going on if you you know if you, the odds would have been split right down the middle um, because half of me was thinking well we've got into the Premier League so there's a lot more money for the club to play with here yeah. so yeah. giving five or six of us young lads that have been with the club for a long time that have done you know that are good players but you know they're probably not sure on it's going to do the club no harm at all but they actually went the other way and got rid of everyone and said listen like we're going to sign Players like uh Pog Brenniak, um, the Russian guy yes. I don't know if you remember that Royston Drentner went yeah, to Yeah, red- Real
0: Madrid, yeah. I saw him play you for have- Everton, yeah.
2: The <laughs> club went away from the like the ethos that had done so well with where it was hard working um, players with you know, sort of a red in style of way, if you like. And they went away from that completely and obviously invested a lot more money on players like that but cut the, the, the younger players and the fringe players and squad players, if you like, completely out of it. So, yeah, got released. Um, and then, yeah, similar to Anton, really, he was like, okay, OK, what do you do? Because I thought I'm 19, 20, so I'm a good age. I've always been at Reading, you know, I've so I've had a good background. And I'm getting released from a Premier League club now, so surely that will hold some weight. In reality, it's like if you look at it from the other side, it's well, he's never played a game anywhere. Like, why do we take him? He's just a kid. So that led me um, straight into non league. So yeah, I must have jumped down what six, seven divisions to go and play some football.
0: It's crazy, isn't it? It's it's it blows my mind because you know, two, three years later, and you've got a much more superior knowledge of, of youth football than I do, but nowadays. Teams, especially Premier League teams, like hoard everyone up until about twenty two, twenty three, and keep yeah. them in the setup instead of releasing, don't they? I mean, we had Jake Evans, who Swindon yeah. released. He dropped down to Farnborough and then suddenly he's at Cardiff City under 21s for several years because because they're just they just need that age group coming through. It's yeah. it, it's, it's
2: remarkable. There's pros and cons to it, and obviously I don't know all the answers, and I'm not one to make decisions on on how football should be structured. But for me, there's a there is a case of. So now when I got released at 19, 20 years old, I've got all my career ahead of me to go and earn my stripes and prove to people I'm a good player and, and do all the rest of it. Whereas now you're sort of delaying it three years. So now there's boys leaving at 23 and they've still not played anywhere. Yeah. and They're just three years behind. But, you know, clubs will look at it and go, well, you know, they're still in the system. They're getting three years of full-time proper coaching. That's going to develop them. Um you know, there's pros and cons. I, I remember when I when I was back on the coaching staff, the big thing for me was the boys have to go on loan. They have to go on loan. They have to go, have to go and play and realise it's tough and realise what football is all about and go and try and earn three points on a Saturday um, because I don't look at academy football and think, oh, it's played the wrong way or anything like that because I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. I think there's a lot of good stuff going on in academy football, but you can't replicate the the environment and the atmosphere that the first team football brings sure whether it's 50 fans or, or 1500 fans or wherever you go on loan whether it's a month or six months you need to go and play well for those games because if you don't you're going to have a manager that's not going to you know be very nice to you and a lot of players don't experience that till they get to, you know to those age groups so it's a tough one it's a tough one but I'm, you know I, I look back at it and I'm, I, I don't regret anything that happened you know with myself. It, you know everyone's got a different journey um, and ultimately I enjoyed mine you know it was different it was it was challenging it was tough but it's probably what's made me you know the, the player I am and, and the person I am as well so you know i'm happy with that five
1: additional minutes Mullen.
0: It's Matt Taylor, and it's gone through the keeper. The old wise head delivers. Forest Green's party get crushed. Swing town, the neighbours from down the road are ruining
1: Forest Green's big, big night.
0: So that's something you join since 2012 now. So you join Hayes and Yedding who were in the sixth tier of English football at that time. But were there any trials elsewhere? Or was it just, I need a job, I need a club, in I go?
2: Well, even that, so I knew the manager at Hayes because he was coach at Reddit.
0: Naz Bashir, that is, yeah?
2: Yeah, Naz. So even that was through a contact, you know. It wasn't as if I had clubs in the Conference South queuing down the road saying, oh, let's sign this young player. So it's it really is opportunities. And whatever door's open, you have to take, really. Yeah. Um, I did have an agent at the time but as I'm sure you can imagine when you get released the phone goes quiet very quickly Um, so you know you learn a few things about uh, football there Um, but I did manage to go on trial at Portsmouth actually Um, I was on non-contract at Hayes so I was available to go and train full-time at other clubs Um, Portsmouth uh, said I could go and train with them it's not too far for me and obviously a massive club but at that time, they were in real financial problems. Like they had minus points. Yeah. I I can't remember. I think they were in League One, but they were rock bottom, or maybe maybe it was a year after. But
0: no, I think that's. I think 2012 13 is the year that Swindon beat them like five nil. So they would have gone down to League Two that season. So I think you're spot on there. Yeah,
2: so they were desperate for players, right? So,
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. So I went down there. Mike Appleton was manager, and I trained for a couple of weeks and said you know really like you I'd like what you're doing I was like I'm playing for Hayes Um, and he said listen we got an embargo on play a couple of reserve games and we'll sort something out so uh, the money got agreed the deal got agreed with my agent and the the chief executive at the club Um, so it was all great I remember speaking to my family saying listen I'm signing for Portsmouth brilliant news and then with the embargo it couldn't happen just yet then the chief exec left and Appleton, I think, got the sack or he got a good job somewhere else, can't remember. And it just went. That was it. The deal was done. So it's like, speaking to the manager, what are we doing? He said, well, it's not there anymore. So you're thinking, oh, what a disaster. <laughs> so I spent all season at Hayes in the end with a view to, come on, like, surely something will come up. But it never did. You know, I was there all year. And, uh, yeah, played. I think played about 40-odd games that season um in a in a men's league a tough league you know where players are earning money and you know fighting for their jobs and all the rest of it and uh yeah it was certainly a culture shock going going from red into Hayes that's for sure
0: yeah i recently spoke to uh, Jarrell Eiffel um and he said that Non-league is is just as sort of hectic as is the football league. It's like non-league, but it's very much you may not be semi-pro, but you're really pro because of the schedule in non-league football, isn't it? It's uh, it's quite it's quite demanding, especially for those who do have other careers at that stage of their of their of their career as well.
2: Yeah, it's tough because you got you got players like myself who are who are young players that have just like to think they're just dropping to that level before they bounce back up. Yeah. Then you've got sort of players that are there to you know earn a half decent you know certainly for a part-time wage good money um to supplement their incomes and then they've got other jobs and families and you've got maybe older players that are sort of on the way down that are just there to get a few quid before they you know go into their next role so you've got a real mixed bag there um and then yeah it's just it's it's just fighting against Little issues all the time, I found that year. So training, ground issues, where we train in, pitches are flooded. You know, now we've got three games this week to fit them all in. We've got to play Tuesday night, Thursday night and Saturday, you know. But at the same time, you're only a part-time player. But, you know, I think about it this, this year still in the National League. Sometimes the schedules we get given yeah. are just ridiculous. And then you hear like Guardiola and clock <laughs> running about two games in a week it's <laughs> so, well hang on a minute like we've got nowhere near the resources that you've got but yeah we get uh easter weekend we have to play friday monday yeah. so, how does that work yeah definitely completely
0: agree on that front well your first season at Hazen and in you know it's for the for the club it's not the greatest season in the world but it's enough for you to at least get looked by the next level up and you join woking where you have Three very very successful years. Three years where Woking are comfortably mid-table, almost pushing the playoffs as well. And and you impress Gary Hill, who, for those who don't know, Gary Hill was a big name in non-league football, isn't he?
2: Yeah, Gary Hill was a. Uh, yeah, he, he did a lot for me. To be fair, you know. So the the backstory of that is that Hayes and Yelling didn't have a stadium, so we played at Woking's ground. So throughout that year I'd sort of managed to obviously play in front of a few of the, the I think the assistant manager, mainly Tomo. Um, and they invited me to go in the next season. Um, but then again, you know, so the, the most people won't know, but the first couple of weeks I went into Woking, I scored two goals in a preseason season game. Gary Hill said, listen, really like you're going to play you. And I remember we played at Dover and I got injured and got a horrible tackle after about five minutes and I was out for like, and again, another month and I've got no contracts. I'd turned down a contract from Hayes and Yeddin because I said, listen, like, I'm going to go and sort of back myself to go and get something, you know, a higher level. But now I'm so of I remember coming back on the bus from Dover thinking, what am I doing here? Like I'm in a real pickle. <laughs> um But I remember Gary was great with me. He said, listen, we'll, we'll get you fit. You got injured playing for us, so we we'll look after you. And then when you get back fit, we'll, we'll sort of reassess it. Um, he gave me a month contract uh, on, you know, pretty much play for nothing really. Um, and I remember getting man of the match. I think in one of my first games against Barnet, and then that was pretty much enough for him to say, like, listen, this 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 kid can play a little bit. And he gave me a proper deal really till the end of the season. And yeah, just kicked on from there. Really at Woking
0: at this stage. So you're free. Great years. I don't really want to gloss over that because I really enjoy non-league football on the whole and I think it's really competitive. I watch um, quite a bit of it because BT Sport, I've got the rights, watched you just the other day playing um, for Ebbsfleet. But it's around this time that you're beginning to look towards coaching. So you set up the Core Football Academy, you yourself have a UEFA B licence amongst others. To be honest, that's a really, for your age at that time, that's a really bold and sensible move, a risk nonetheless. Did you see yourself leaning towards coaching at that stage or was it just to supplement, you know, your income, et cetera?
2: Do you know what? I don't don't really know if I've got a definitive answer to that. First and foremost is I love football, right? And whenever I get a chance, like at the minute, it's a disaster because I can't play, I can't watch it, I can't coach, I don't know what to do. Yeah. But um it was a case of I've got I'd gone part time, so I was coaching uh along the side of that, just doing school sessions and some bits and bobs. Um then Reddin had said to me about going back in there to coach in the academy, which I took up and you know, thoroughly enjoyed that. But there was there was a real I don't know, I just felt like I could really really give back something to the to the area and to the kids and I could do better than what was currently out there that was what fueled it really and I I sort of got got a taste of it and I just thought I could I could do better you know I could give something or or do something differently or or give you know something extra to help you know develop kids and and to make sure they're enjoying their football and all the rest of it um so I didn't really look at it as a risk or I didn't overthink it and think oh you know this and that I, the way the way I set set up the coaching was that it would always, it wouldn't necessarily need me to be there all the time, you know. So if I had to go to Grimsby on a Tuesday night, I could go to Grimsby. If Swindon came in and offered me a deal, I could go and play for Swindon and move away, you know. So the business is obviously structured around schools and our academy venues, but always had really good people coaching alongside me and helping me. Um, So it's not a case of Johnny Goddard running around doing every session, you know, it's just a case of me sort of overseeing things, putting the structure in place, um, and making sure you know that the quality of, of what we give is is as good as it can be. Yeah,
0: I don't know if I would have at sixteen spent three weeks in North Carolina, which has quite a quite <laughs> a, a loyal football scene in places like Raleigh and Wilmington and Asheville and places like that. I would have fancied maybe a scholarship. Was that was that ever anything that you considered?
2: Yeah, playing abroad something that really excites me and interests me. But I remember this actually specifically now you bring it up. So I couldn't get at the time uh, a football scholarship in America because I'd signed a professional contract at Reading. Yeah. So obviously I got released from that professional contract, and I guess they, their college system, see it as cheating if you start signing players that have been professional in England or wherever. So um, yeah, I missed the boat on that one, but. Um, no, there's enough. There's enough kids in England that need help. Letting going out there.
0: <laughs> Before we move to Swindon, I always like to talk international. And you represented England at sea level. For those who don't know, that is the uh, that's the non-league international team. Which you know, considering the amount of teams there are in non-league, and the manager Fairclough does pick from several levels. He doesn't just pick from the uh, national league only. So yeah. you play two games for England C one. Against Ukraine under 21s and one against Slovakia under 21s, and this this is two sides that have players who would go on to play for their national team. Um, yeah. Slovakia is full of players: Marek Rodak, who plays for uh, yeah. Fulham now, and Vavro plays for Lazio. Labotka plays for Napoli. What was that experience like for you?
2: Yeah, it was. Do you know what it was? A, it was a like a real good reward for me, really, because I've been working, like you said, for three years at Woking and giving everything to the cause and just to touch on it. Like, you know, everyone knows that, you know, I had such a good time at Woking and, you know, probably the most successful period of my career under Gary Hill and and all the rest of it. It was, it was, yeah, just a reward really for me to go and play for my country. I think, you know, some people might look at it and go, oh, it's C-level and all the rest of it. But trust me, when you put the shirt on, it doesn't matter what what level you're what side you're representing you know playing for your country is is doing just that and yeah it was very proud obviously we went away to ukraine which was an experience (laughs) um and we had uh we had an interesting few days out there when russia were invading crimea so it was it was armed escorts and army guards patrolling england sea team around kiev which was funny and then uh (laughs) The next game was nice because it was at home. So it was a, a, nice that my family could come and watch and everyone was there and the national anthem and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, it was something, you know, I've still got the caps and, and the shirts and stuff. Yeah, it's, it was a real nice moment.
0: Lovely, which leads straight on to my next question, which I ask all the people capped at any level is, where are those caps?
2: No, they're, yeah, they're on the wall. They're actually on the <laughs> wall, know exactly good. where they are.
0: Good. Some of them some of the guys yeah. say they're in carrier bags in the loft or at the mum's nah. or whatever, but I'm always like as I always joke and people that listen to this on a regular basis will be rolling their eyes and miming away to what I say next. I would wear mine at least once a week.
2: Really? Oh absolutely.
0: Hanging. Oh yeah, I'll so, be like, I'm cap mate. Well, well, this this I, thing, I'll be out and about in the shops going, Oh you are you looking at my cap? Yeah, that's when I play for England. I quite so
2: i could even pull it off like it's <laughs> treasure now i'll say
0: that <laughs> no it, it is it is i completely agree with you it doesn't matter of level you played and the best thing about and i know it sounds a bit patronizing but the best thing about it is it is the exact same kit it's the same training gear it's the same routine it's not it's it, it is pure fa and that that gives you that that feeling doesn't it of of this is representing your country
2: yeah, it's proper. It is really, but it's, it's it's I don't know what the, the setup is at the minute because I know there's been a lot of cutbacks. But at the time, the staff treat you just as you would, you know, a proper uh, England squad. Yeah. You know, we stayed at the same hotels that the England squad trained at. We had the same kits, the same resources. We had nutritionists, sports scientists, physios, goalie coaches. We had everything we needed, really, there. And, yeah, woking again, was, was part-time. So, although in the National League and competing with the biggest clubs at that level at the time, uh, it wasn't a full-time club. So, to go into that environment and have a couple of training camps each season with the England squad was, yeah, it was a real treat and it was done properly. Um, and, yeah, no, we'll, we'll always remember it, that's for sure. It's good.
0: listening to the Low Strangers podcast proudly sponsored by the STFC official supporters club okay let's get to Swindon then so you joined Swindon in 2016 and let me tell you my memories of you joining Swindon because it was for us one of the cleanest transfers that seemed to ever happen because (laughs) it was announced you know, undisclosed fee, Woking, Swindon, absolutely praise, Woking for their conduct during it, there's a friendly arranged, all this <laughs> that and the other, it just seems like, the most happiest transfer, that we've ever had, because everybody was happy.
2: Yeah, it was, yeah, I mean, obviously I was involved in it, from a from a playing point of view, and it was, uh, it was done very quickly, I know that much, um, I'd had a good season, obviously I'd scored a lot of goals that year, and, um, I was very close to joining a couple of clubs in January, but at the time, Woking was second and doing really well, and we were still in the FA Trophy, I think the quarterfinals, and they were just like, "Listen, like the money that's being talked about, we, you know, we can't just can't do it. You know, there's too much to lose for the club and not enough gain." So. Obviously respected the club's decision. Um, continued to play well for the rest of the season, and uh, I got a call from Gary Hill, who said that a uh, fee had been agreed between the two clubs. Uh, they're going to call me. Spoke to Lee Power. Went went and visited the the clubs. Uh, I went and visited Lee at the ground. Showed me around. Uh, and yeah it was pretty much done and dusted there and then really a couple of days later after a couple of phone conversations and yeah just couldn't wait to get started really so yeah it was probably one of the simplest deals of, of not didn't have an agent at the time getting involved and bits and bobs like that so yeah it was yeah it was happy days really yeah
0: what did you know about swindon town before you before you joined anything
2: well i obviously i, I knew ben ben gladwin well um i remember speaking to ben about it and obviously he had Nothing but praise for the club uh, I then spoke to anton um and then Jamie Sendles-White was a player at the club at the time had a chat with jay um so yeah it was it was all positive really um I obviously knew about the size of the club and visiting the, the ground um it was clear to see that I get a, you know of a, a history and visiting going down the tunnel and that you know they've got it all all the previous cup wins and the successful times at the club um and then again playing at the highest level possible you know it was a league one club that had come in for me I'd never played in the football league yeah it was never something I was going to turn down really
0: no absolutely not your manager your coaching staff of course is Luke Williams and Ross Embleton and anyone I speak to always talk fondly of Luke Williams and how well they worked with them it's a bit of an enigma that it didn't work out. I mean, you might have insight into that, but was that the same relationship that you had with Luke as well?
2: Yeah, it's funny. I've listened to a few of your podcasts. Really, with I've listened to the one with with Sendles, uh, Lawrence Figaro. I had to listen to to see what he said. Yeah, <laughs> he held back. <laughs> yeah, and uh, no, I'm honestly this, the, the Luke's. Luke's a funny one because his knowledge of football is second to none. Mm-hmm. It, it honestly is, and I've learned more from Luke in that season than I have. Working for any previous coach or manager at any level, his his detail, his preparation, and his views on the game—you know that they are—they're spot on. But you know, he obviously took a lot of lot criticism that year. For me, I'd look at it and probably say all the players weren't either weren't either either not good enough, or you know, just didn't work out for whatever reason. But I'd never point any blame at Luke. He his effort. He did everything he could for the boys. And I think people like him so much as well because, you know, forget all the football side of it. He's a good bloke. He really is a good bloke and he he means well for everyone. He wants the best for all the players. I've seen enough squads now to know that when players get dropped or they're left out of the squad or they're not being played as much as they want, there's a lot of players that can throw their toys out the pram or, you know, not enjoy training and all the rest of it. But Luke managed to keep people on board. You know, because they wanted to do well for him as well as the club. And it will be interesting now for me to see, obviously, him going to MK Dons, how they do. Because I know he's now backing as an assistant manager, working under Russell Martin. Uh, I speak to Ben, who's obviously there now. And for me, you know, any club he goes into, he'll, he'll give the players a lot. And I see at Bristol City, they produce a number of players there whilst he was in, at the club. For me, it's no surprise. But again, you know, if you're not involved in football and you don't see the day-to-day, it's easy on a Saturday afternoon to, to look at it and if the team's not well, if not playing well, the first person you look at the manager, isn't it? So, um, yeah, he probably took a lot of unfair criticism, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, it, it's... I mean, yeah, you're completely right. We, we care about results and results never really got going that year. But there were still games where... There were still games that showed that we were capable of getting results. I remember Bolton away, um, you know, Charlton at home on TV where you scored. Uh, you know, it's just that's what's frustrating about those sort of relegation seasons where you know it's not necessary that we turn it up for against the best teams, but sometimes it just clicks and then we kind of think, well, this is it now—the beginning of the momentum to to put away from the relegation zone—and then we lose three nil in the next week against a team that we we should be playing better against.
2: It's fun. There's, there's, yeah. There's two, there's two games for me, and they're both against Oldham that, I, that stick out for me. I remember uh, Ollie Banks came on loan of twice yeah. the next season. A, a
0: nil-nil draw, yeah.
2: Yeah, that was at home, wasn't it? Yeah. The away game we won. For, I think three-nil or two-nil. Yeah. And I've never played in a game like it. They they couldn't get the ball. They it was like at three-nil, you just you know just ring you know call the fight off because it was done. <laughs> they, they, they were they were gone. And Ollie Banks came to us the next season. And he was like, oh, you lot. And bear in mind, we got relegated. He was like, you lot last year. Oh, joke. Unbelievable. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> you can't say that. We got we went down. And he was like, I remember second half, our manager just told us not to, just to stay off you lot. And he was like, and just to leave uh, Yasser Kassim, just to leave him because we couldn't get the ball off him. <laughs> it's just funny. As a player, you think, like, And I'd never been involved in a game so one-sided. Um, the, the, but then, the, what we're talking about is the second fixture. I mean, we played him at the County Ground. Luke come in after the game, and we drew 0-0 mm. And his post-match team talk. I remember him reading the stats from the game. I don't know if you can find them anywhere, but it was something like seventy-eight percent possession, twenty-four shots, and we drew 0-0 Yeah. So you can't say, "Ah, oh, Luke, poor manager," because you know, what more can you do? Like, at the end of the day, the boys need to score the goal. The boys need to put the ball in the back of the net. And that was near the end of the season. Mm. And that sort of, for me, just summed up how that season went. It was quite, probably quite close to being good. But at the end of it, you know, we just had nothing to show for it. And it was, it was devastating.
0: Yeah, I will... <laughs> pull up those stats for you because it's one eye-raising stat and then one that's damning of a relegation season so possession 56 44 fine shots okay. for oldham eight shots yeah. for swindon 26 yeah. shots on target zero both really <laughs> i think that tells it all doesn't it i, I remember that game it just felt like motions but you know swindon did enough to win the game but I mean, 26 attempts. I, I mean, that's a very quick uh, search to check for the stats. So they may be wrong. But 26 yeah. versus oh, right. Oldham's eight says it all, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, it's yeah. So I mean, like you, you're doing something right to get in those positions, right? And there's not many teams that that week would that, that have had that many shots. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I said was about to win the game, so you know it doesn't matter, does it? No. On telly this weekend against Halifax. Yeah. On BT, and we probably had four shots. Yeah, but will we won one nil, and you know it's job done, isn't it?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And especially when you're in Ebbsfleet's position versus Halifax, who are way up there fighting for the playoffs. Who knows? Because at the time of recording, there is no football at the moment, and you know thirty plus games may have been in vain. But but yeah, it is it is crazy, isn't it? When when teams are scrapping for their life, it's either you're going to get that little bit of luck, or yeah. it just continues the way it, the way it has done. Yeah, mm. we need to talk about tim sherwood because that was one of the most bizarre periods of swindon fans time when they well it felt like huge they said there's news coming from swindon there's a press conference announced lots of rumors going around nobody knows what's happening and then yeah. tim sherwood is announced as like an advisor director of football i think they were going with and yeah. then he ends up on the bench in the second time for the second half against Eastleigh and then at the end of the season he said he was never in official capacity and almost as if like we'd imagined the whole thing what was that period like
2: yeah it was interesting I think obviously from a young player's perspective having someone of his uh, experience and knowledge coming in was never going to I was never gonna turn that down. You know, I tried to learn from him and what he what the, the points he was giving to the players and what his views that he was putting across. <laughs> I, I don't really know what his role was either. You know, I can't give you an honest answer on that. Um but he just tried obviously he's, I know he's close with, with the chairman. He obviously just came in to try and help, yeah. you know, at the end of the day. I think the boys the boys that we had there were a good group of people that that, that did try everything they they could to get out of the, the run of form that we got ourselves into, but it just didn't work. You know, it just didn't work. Now, if it did work, you, you, you wouldn't look back on it and be like, what was Tim shearwood's role? What was he doing? Blah, blah, blah. You'd look back at it and go, cool, that was brilliant. You know, that was a masterstroke, but it just didn't quite happen. And, uh, yeah, there was a period where, you, you know, like I said, he was coming in and giving his, his insight and, um, helping Luke and Ross and all the staff and, and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it's it's one of those things, really.
0: I, I got no problem with a vastly experienced former international Premier League winner coming in and giving insight and advice. If that was what it was for, brilliant. I think the thing that I have an issue with, maybe, and I'm long over it, to be fair, was the was the press conference. No need for it. Just if they yeah. would have just kept it behind the scenes, kept it casual. Maybe yeah. it was just a PR exercise to get town fans on 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 side or whatever. But if they just kept it behind closed doors, I don't think there's an issue there.
2: But then again, you, you know, you'd look, look at it from a club's point of view. If you've got someone like that coming yes, in, why, why would you not raise the profile of the club? And you've got Sky Sports coming down, and you know, you've got the extra media attention, and you know, all the rest of it that comes with that. Mm-hmm. So I do understand it all from the club, and there was no there was no uh, negative sure. impact from the players. Um, I think as as results wore on, few of the boys might have thought, you know, along with the fans, like what's going on here, like what are we doing. Yeah. That's just out of frustration because we all wanted to, you know, turn it around, rather than worrying about you know people's job titles and things like that. Yeah,
0: I mean, I am. Um, <laughs> I there's a percentage of me that's driven by spite in life (laughs) and if I was Luke Williams who clearly is a measure of the man but I would have probably walked after Easterly when when Tim Sherwood came
2: down I probably would have quit yeah maybe maybe you're right (laughs) you're right I don't know but um, yeah everyone's different aren't
0: they yeah absolutely so that season we go down and and of course, it's your return to football. You do have the buffer that you know we're not going into non-league, so you're still a football league player. It's it's still for me very frustrating because we had some really good players in there. Nathan Thompson, you've already mentioned Yasser Kassim Michael Doughty's around. figs in goal. Yeah. I know figs you know divides, but he's a very good goalkeeper. That I won't have anything else said about that. And um, Jonathan Abik, although he's not prolific, he's a good player. We'll stand by that. But injuries um, get the best of him but Yasser Kassim Yasser a bit of a, a, a bit of a funny one with, with Swindon fans as well because people like me love Yasser Kassim, regardless what he did for the first 60 65-70% of his Swindon career was magnificent yeah. and then for whatever reason something went wrong but what a player he was
2: on his yeah I don't think I don't think I just I didn't see the best of him you know I was there obviously his last season um, I'm fully aware that the, the previous two years he was head and shoulders above what he did oh, in that last sick. season yeah. Um, but, yeah, you could see in training and, and in, you know, in, in certain matches, the ability that he had. Um, and, uh, yeah, everyone speaks highly of him. It was just probably, you know, probably didn't help him. The results go in the way they did. You know, I think he's probably much better in a winning team. Um, you know, a team that's probably scoring more goals and, yeah, playing a little bit more expansive stuff. But, um, no, yeah, a lot of ability.
0: Who, who, do, who else stood out for you?
2: Uh, Viggs is a top goalkeeper in terms of ability I think um, obviously people have a perception of him off the pitch (laughs) Um, and I've played with players that I wouldn't have around a changing room you know players that you think are not good for the team and he's not one of them he's he's not at all he's he's outspoken he's a character he's his own guy but you know I, I think he's brilliant I get on really well with him he's not a problem at all um and that that first year he was he was player of the year by a million miles you know um mm-hmm. Nathan Thompson again he was a player that that had all the attributes in that side you know and the team was almost built around him playing at the back in the center as a sweeper um he was he was exceptional um, and then yeah, there was there was we had plenty of good players. You know, we had plenty of good players. We had boys on loan. Charlie Colkett come in, um, had a lot of ability. Rowan Ints come in for probably three or four months and gave us a real something extra in midfield that we hadn't had the previous, you know, twenty five thirty games. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of good players in that side. But you know, like I said, it's just it just wasn't to be. No,
0: absolutely not. What, what's it like? Last game
2: of the season at Charlton in the changing rooms at the end of the game. Uh, yeah, it's not great. I remember so at that that game Charlton had a massive pitch invasion to protest against the owners, and uh, I remember fighting my way through the tunnel to get out onto the pitch, and the police were like, "What are you doing? <laughs> like, get inside!" But I knew the the Swindon fans were still there, and I had at the end of the at the end of the season, the kit man had put all your kit in a pile to take so I had like six or seven shirts so I was like well no I'm going to get rid of some of these for the kids because you know they're only going to go to friends or family of mine or sit in the the cupboard um 100% there's some kids out there that would appreciate them more than you know and get find a better home for them but it was a nightmare to get out there but then I remember getting out to the to the, the the stand where the away fans were giving out a couple of shirts but then the fans were sort of not having a go at me but asking me where is everyone else like it's a, it's a disgrace that you're the only one that's come out <laughs> and then I was happens to have this conversation like listen it's like if it's, it's like the front line up there it's really tough um so yeah but it was a, it was a surreal one it was a tough one because we didn't know the future of of luke as well yeah. um, we didn't know the future of a lot of the players and um there's not a lot you can really say at the end of that we'd already been relegated so, a lot of talking had been done in the week leading up to that. Um, and it was just a case of uh, obviously we'd all speak to each other soon and, and let each other know the news when we found it out.
0: Well, that's Thompson again. Oh, a beaker could be in here. Well, what an entrance. That one crept over the line, and that seals top spot for Swindon, no doubt. Williams leaves in the summer of 2017. Quite a few players go as well because they don't want to play League 2 football. And in comes David Flitcroft, who was seen as, you know, it, it felt like at the time that it went against the grain of what Lee Power wanted in a football manager. It seemed like he wanted to go for a man who had experience of getting teams out of League 2. He comes in and he's completely different to luke williams what were your early experiences because early on in non in during pre-season you are featuring quite a lot was everything okay at the start or were you or you and some of the other players yeah, yeah no away? i
2: got. listen i left the club on yeah no i left the club under under david flickroff obviously and yeah. ultimately we parted company but i got nothing bad to say against him at all i got on really well with him pre-season played first game of the season started at carlisle and the first game of the season is always quite important especially when you've got a new manager in, you know, because mm. you want to try and get the fans on side early and get a little bit of momentum. And I remember going up there and we won. But I got in, I, I got into a tackle, I nearly broke my foot. I got into a really nasty t- injury, left the pitch, I finished the game but it was in agony. And I remember um, I left the pitch I uh, left the stadium on crutches. And I was out for about seven weeks yeah. and uh, I had to have injections in my foot and all sorts to try and get fit. And then, yeah, I, so that that just sort of set me back. You know, I'd done all the work in pre-season. We went to Portugal and we had a great trip out there as a group, you know, um, working on setting, setting the foundations for the season, really. Getting to know all the new players as well, because we had a big turnover in players. Um, the new staff, getting to know them. And then the seven-week injury just sort of set me back, and then I was always sort of chasing it a little bit. Came back into the team, but was in and out of the team. And yeah, like listen, David Flickcroft's not a bad manager at all. His sessions are good. Uh, the environment he created was good. It was well organised, well structured. Um, but there is a big, there is a big thing in football that a new manager brings in his own players, you know, and that's not having a go at any manager that's done that. But it does seem to happen. And I understand it. You know, they want players that they, that they one, that they know and they, they want to have. But there's definitely a trust element in that as well. You know, you're bringing your own players in that know that you've, you've brought them to the club. You've given them that sense of responsibility. And I remember, obviously, Viggs went to Ireland on loan. Connor Thomas went off to India uh, there was only really me and Luke Norris left and Ellis Yandelow. Yeah. so we were sort of the last ones from the year before, and just always was slightly swimming against the tide you know if something something weren 't quite right it was it was you know it was always tough when you 've not that player that he 's brought in um but listen that that might just be my opinion, you know, like I said, i got no problem with him, and um Really enjoyed really enjoyed the first half of that season as well. You know, with people like you know, Matty Taylor obviously come in. Um, we had good characters in that squad, James Dunn, um, we had some good players, you know, Keshi and, and Kane came in and did really well. So, you know, we had a side that was that we, again was close. And I think when I left I think we were two points off the playoffs or something like that. So, you know, there was there was no panic buttons being hit. But um yeah, it was just a case of I wasn't quite playing as much as I wanted to and I've always been a player that, that wants to play every minute and looking back on it I probably was a little bit quick to to accept the invitation to go elsewhere but um but yeah, I I got no bad words to say about, about anyone at the club, you know, that's yeah, for sure.
0: No, absolutely. No, that's that's fair enough. I mean, I mean, you know, you know that you know the the drill Swindon fans don't regard David Flickcrofts legacy that favourably that might be because of the style of football that was being played that might be because he jumped ship to join yeah. Mansfield town and you know regardless of how well we were playing or what kind of football we were playing. We would have probably made the playoffs under David Flitcroft had he seen out the season. I don't think that's an outrageous statement to make. And what really interests me from from your point just then was saying that you were probably quick to uh, accept the invitation to join Stevenage because I remember your your first interview with Stevenage. It's at a training grounds. I remember I tried looking for the video, but I couldn't find it for love the money. And oh. if I've got to be honest with you, Johnny, you looked really annoyed. <laughs>
2: yeah no it was it was one of those ones you know it some sometimes things happen and they happen you know really quickly, mm. and I'd never look back on something and, and say and I regret it, but you know that that was something it was deadline day. I was quite close to going to Lincoln uh the week before, um but the clubs couldn't agree on a fee. Yeah. Then obviously it got down to deadline day and the clubs had agreed a fee. My agent rang me and said, listen, Stevenage have, have agreed terms with Swindon. Do you want to go and have a chat with them? So I went up to Stevenage and it was all done very quickly. Um, now looking back on it, obviously I can sit here and say I should never have gone. Like It's easy for me to do that. But at the time, you know, you're sitting across a manager that wants to buy you, that has a lot of faith in you, talking about his ideas for the club, uh you're going to play every week this is where you're going to play this is the setup stevenage is is a good club it's you know it's obviously struggling at the minute but they've got a great training ground uh, a decent fan base um and at the time a decent side you know we had a decent side when i joined joined stevenage um but yeah it's easy to look back on it now and say well i should never have gone but um these things happen and then sort of seven weeks later that manager gets the sack and it's flip well, off left Swindon, and it's just <laughs> completely different. And I'm sort of sat there thinking, what's going on? Well,
0: that, that's pretty much where I was going to next. So, exactly right. Like, if you hang around Swindon for just a few more months, then it's a new manager and you'd almost certainly been utilized more. And of course, you sign for Darren Saal, and he goes, What, a month later? And then yeah. in comes Dino, and you don't really go to look him under Dino, do you? No, I don't think I ever play about 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And then and then that is, that's that is. forgive the cliche, that really is football at that stage, isn't it? Where, you know, you can't, in your negotiations, join a new team going, and how do you consider your manager? And if the manager is to get sacked, what sort of manager are you going to bring in? Because, you know, it's it's just, it's ruthless, isn't it?
2: yeah it is and so so Darren Saul was a little bit more uh Luke Williams mold if you like where he was a, a manager that wanted to play football and pass the ball a little bit more and play with players like myself um in the side um you know because I'm fully aware I'm not everyone's cup of tea you know I'm not 6 foot 4 I'm not you know massive and I've got different attributes than that um but then Darren Saul got the sack and they brought in Dino who was Graham Wesley's assistant and you know, was never, never gonna play me. You know, he's just a non starter from day one. So it's hard, it's hard, it, it but it, it like I said, it's football, you know, it's football, it's it happens, it happens to a lot of players. Um and there's not a lot you can do about it as a player, you know, you can keep working hard, you can try and do your best. Um I think anyone that knows me and that's been around me in, in a football environment knows that I'm a good pro that, that works hard and takes my football seriously and you know wants the team to do well all the time. Um, but at Stevenage, yeah, it was it was a test for me. You know, I was with the youth team, didn't have a squad number, um, and I could honestly look in the mirror and sort of not work it, not be able to work it out. You know, so it's like I said earlier, it's a challenge and it's a test, but you sort of learn about yourself other people and you come through it and try and you know just move on really
0: I talk to a lot of footballers now I'm very lucky too and sometimes when I talk to footballers I can get a sense of what they might be like behind the scenes and you don't strike me as the sort of person that would be disruptive or anything like that when I spoke to Richie Wellens. I asked him about like you know bombing players out, and he did mention like sometimes you got to because it's not about the personalities; it's about just making them aware that you're not going to play for this football team. Was was that the situation?
2: Well, it was a unique one. uh, Without going too much into it, Stephen, it's a unique one because the manager didn't want me. But as you can uh, appreciate, the chairman had paid a transfer fee for me about a month ago. (laughs) He was like, "Well, I'm not getting rid of him. I just got him." so yeah it was a strange one I I I get what you're saying I think sometimes you need to yeah you need to get players out the door and there's a certain way to do that for me personally being involved in football and obviously doing my coaching badges and stuff there's a certain way you should treat a human like forget footballer and forget the contract and the money side of it like we're all human beings and we deserve a level of respect no matter what's going on behind the behind the scenes. so yeah listen people do it each to their own and you know, I'm not one to tell Richie Williams how to do it because he's doing a fantastic job at the minute, and he certainly knows a lot better than I do. Absolutely, and
0: and as a result, you do return back to national league level. Firstly, with a couple of loan sp- spells, and now with fleet. How are you, how are you finding it? How have you found the last couple of seasons since then? It's it's been it's been good,
2: but it's been it's been a challenge. You know, I think I'm desperate to try and settle down at a club. You know, I'm desperate to try and just go somewhere and. And, uh, stay at a club for a while with a little bit of security, uh, a little bit of solidarity if you like um, and loan spells never really do that for you you know because they are what they are you go there to try and help the club and you go there to get football yourself and get game time but Ebsfleet this year has been a challenge because we've obviously struggled on and off the pitch there's been a few problems with the club but it's a credit to the boys that the last sort of two months three months we've really dug deep and got some good results nobody's got any clue what's going to go on with the current situation but if the if the league was to continue then we're in a much better position than we were you know so I've enjoyed that side of it you always get ups and downs in football as part and parcel I had four months out this year with ankle surgery so you know that's that's something which is disruptive in itself but you know I I still love the game. I've still got the bug. I still, you know, can't wait to get out there on a Saturday. Not trained now for three days and I'm missing it. So, you know, that says that says enough. That says it all for me, really.
0: Absolutely. And you're currently managed by ex-Swindon midfielder Kevin Watson as well. So how how's he getting on?
2: Yeah, he's good. We've got a few ex like Michael Timlin's down yeah. there as well. Um, there's a few lads that have been involved at the club. It's been a baptism fire for the gaffer because it's his first managerial job. And uh, like I said, there's been a lot going on. But he's done really well. He's done really well. We had a really tough start to the season. We had, I think, we had about ten points when he took over. So if he took that start of the season away from from it, we would have been absolutely fine and, and be you know quite comfortable. But um, yeah, he's a he's a he's a knowledgeable knowledgeable football man. He's a good bloke, and i uh, have yeah. had a few chats with him about about Swindon. Actually, know, he enjoyed his time as well.
0: Pass on my details. Yeah, you've got Michael Timlin there. There's there's someone else, I'm sure, that's there at the moment. McGlashan, of course. Jermaine yeah. McGlashan's there as well. He's just joined from Swindon. Shame on me. Um, when I As we begin to close, when I spoke to Jamie Sendles-White, he'd just finished the season in the sixth tier with Torquay with hopes of returning to the Football League, and he's been lucky to do so with Crawley. Yeah. If I'm honest, I thought... Man, that's that's ambitious because you know what football's like. Not because of his ability, but once yeah. you sort of dip down that low uh, without it being a loan deal, it's very hard to get back. And now he's doing really, really well with Crawley And until yeah. the 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 suspension of the season. They were sneaking up towards the playoff places. Yeah. Is, is the goal for you to still try and get back into the Football League?
2: I think my goal is to try and do as well as I can. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to... Um... Get obsessed with targets like that. It's definitely possible for me, it's, it's especially the sort. I think credit to Jamie because it's even harder for him being a centre half. You know, I think you got it's, it's harder for a centre half to get noticed and get plucked out than it is a player like myself because I know if I go on a run and score ten goals in ten, twelve games, clubs will be interested regardless of my background and and you know the fact I'm twenty six, nearly twenty seven now doesn't really come into it. So listen, it's still it's still something that I work towards um, but it's not something I obsess over you know and I think there's a lot of players that are in the same boat as me that that just want to continue to do as well as they can and enjoy it um, and go from there really
0: yeah absolutely okay well let's close with a few Swindon related stuff so I mean from what I remember talking to Jamie you're quite a coffee man but what are your (laughs) favorite (laughs) memories of of your time with Swindon
2: um, favorite memories? I did love the. We did two pre season tours, we did Ireland and Portugal. Um, I've just spoke, I've just said about tours all all interview, haven't I? Um, no, I do enjoy getting away. Um, they were great. We had, yeah, we had a good group. We had some good times. We had the, the fixtures that you mentioned earlier. I remember going to Bolton away and winning. Um, like you said, Charlton at home. I remember beating Bradford that season. Um, yeah, we had some really good times. Um, off the pitch, yeah. Me, and, me and Jamie lived with each other, um, so I sort of kept him on the straight and narrow. Um, we'd we'd pop out for dinner and stuff, and Sire and, and a and bit of shopping in Bath, and that. It was definitely a time that I look back on with fond memories.
0: Well, there we go. That that is all I have, Johnny. Thank you very much.
2: No problem, Rich. Thank you very much.
0: The Low Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford and the artwork was provided expertly by John Daglish. Thanks for listening. (laughs)
2: For it's a grand old team to play
1: for And it's a
2: grand old team to see And if you know the history It's enough to make your heart glow. Oh, we don't care what the Newcastle say What the hell do we care? Because we only know that there's going to be a show And it's wind and turmoil